Welcome to episode number 15 of the Barbell Lifestyle Podcast, where Christina and I tell you everything you need to know about fat loss. We've been releasing our latest episodes in a strategic fashion, trying to help you establish a strong foundation for how to track and manage your diet with the Macros 101 episode, how to prioritize your efforts in the right way with our interview with Dr. Helms in episode number 14. And today we're answering your burning questions about how to successfully go through a fat loss phase. As always, if you like the podcast and you want to support it, all we ask is that you share this episode with a friend, family member, or coworker who would benefit from it. One share can go a really long way and supports our mission to help as many people as possible to live a healthier, sustainable lifestyle. Finally, we would love you even more than we already do if you took the time to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Ratings and reviews are how this podcast moves up the ranks and becomes accessible to even more people. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode, number 15, everything you need to know about fat loss. Hi guys, and welcome back to the Barbell Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Christina Lynn, and I'm here with my co-host, Marissa Roy. In today's episode, we're going to discuss everything you need to know about fat loss. This is going to be such nice timing. I think we really wanted to structure our episodes launching in a strategic way. Um, so you'll kind of notice that. So we did Macros 101 two weeks ago. Um, so that was episode number 13. And then we released our interview with Dr. Eric Helms, episode 14, talking about the muscle and strength pyramids. And this was all intentional to like set up the framework of how do you actually go about doing this? You know, we really want to give you guys the full background on how to conduct this journey for yourselves. Um, and so this is the hot topic. This is what everyone wants to know about is everything you need to know for fat loss. Um, so I'm super excited about it. It's also nice timing because I started a cut like a week and two days ago. So I'm fresh into fat loss as well. So all this information's right there. Um, so yeah, I'm super excited to talk about this today. Yeah, I am too. I definitely think it's a topic that a lot of people want to cover because everyone seems to want to lose fat or lose weight. So I think it'll be a really good intro, especially as people are starting to get into their journey for maybe spring break or summer, or just maybe something that they have coming up. Yeah. And I mean, we're releasing this in late February. So it's about that time, but at the same time, you could be listening to this a year from now or six months from now. And ultimately fat loss is, is usually a pretty common goal, regardless of the time of year. So, um, this will be a nice reference episode that you guys can get back to at any point, whenever you need to set up a successful fat loss phase. So I guess we will just kind of frame this first, um, about, our perspectives on fat loss and like how they've kind of changed over time because I actually, so this year was the first year that I had mixed feelings about going into a fat loss phase. And that's not because I wasn't willing to suffer or like wanting to diet, but I was just having a really, really great time growing and, and enjoying the process of just living at maintenance and, and enjoying the experience of muscle growth. So fat loss wasn't like the first thing on my mind uh, at all times, which is weird for 
probably most people, I think most people, the first thing that they want to do is they want to lose body fat. Uh, but I think what I'm trying to get at here is when we talk about fat loss, most people tend to view it as like the entire journey. If you are living a healthy lifestyle, then the goal must be fat loss and fat loss is the only way. But we want to preface this by saying, yes, we're going to teach you everything you need to know about this topic, but let's not get away from the fact that there is so much value in spending time reverse dieting your calories, spending time at maintenance, being in a surplus, building muscle, allowing your body to be at homeostasis and, and allowing your body to have adequate calories. So it's not always about eating less and doing more. We're going to teach you how to do that in case you don't know, but um, there's just more to the picture. <laughs> yeah. And again, I feel like there are so many different episodes we could reference in this podcast. Um, but one of the, one of my favorite things that I think you've said so far in this podcast was the park bench analogy analogy, and really just enjoying the journey more so than trying to fixate on where you're going next type thing, or like, when's the next cut? When's the next this? So I really think that that's important when we are thinking about fat loss is that it's not the destination. It is the journey as cliche as that is, it really is true. And it'll help you enjoy the process a lot more. Yeah. And so the park bench analogy, for those of you who did not listen to the Q&A, was just that there are two types of benches that you could sit on. So you can sit on a park bench, which is when you're kind of just sitting there, like admiring the view, looking at the birds, sitting in the park, just having a good time. Or there's a bus bench where you are sitting on the bus and you're going somewhere, you're going towards a destination. So that analogy is for, you know, a park bench is maybe at maintenance, or maybe you're just living a healthy lifestyle just for the sake of living it. You know, you're not really actively pursuing any one big goal or even small goals, but you're still going through the motions. And then the bus bench is the fat loss phase or the contest prep or the intentional bulk where you're trying to be very diligent about it or sports, uh, a sports season prep or something like that it could be anything, but there's different phases that we go through. Um, and I think that that park bench analogy is perfect because when I say fat loss is not the end all be all, it's not the destination. Um, you know, remember that this is a lifestyle and we're here to talk about sustainability. So when we talk about fat loss, fat loss is inherently to an extent unsustainable. So we're talking about an unsustainable portion of a sustainable framework of a sustainable journey. So living a healthy lifestyle is not all about fat loss. You don't have to be dieting to live a healthy lifestyle. So don't go, don't get those two things confused. And I think so many people do often get those two things confused. And they think, well, if I'm not eating 1500 calories, then I'm uh, just eating everything under the sun and frozen pizza and hot pockets and pizza rolls. But, um, you know, really it, it, there is a nice balance for, for the majority, what should be the majority of your life is living at maintenance and just living the lifestyle. Yeah. Cause I was going to say, and I, I've said this a few times when I start contest prep, I don't want people to know when I'm in a prep, obviously at the very end of a journey, it's very hard. And obviously you can tell that I look very small <laughs> or I've lost a significant amount of weight, but generally speaking, your daily habits shouldn't change a whole lot. So you should still be trying to prioritize recovery. You should still be getting enough sleep. You should still be eating 
quality food sources. So there are a lot of things that are very, very similar, um, but it's more so just the, the quantity of different variables. So, and I know that we'll touch on that soon, but it, really what we talk about on this podcast are, are just healthy habits that you can implement, whether you are in a maintenance phase, whether you are reverse dieting or whether you are cutting. Yeah. And I think the last thing that I want to add on this, I guess we, we got really deep really quickly with this, but, um, we just want to make, <laughs> make sure we set the stage well for you guys and make sure we're not promoting false expectations, but, I really want to emphasize that fat loss is not where the improvement happens. So this is very, this is much easier to see when we look at competitive bodybuilders because they have the in season where they're prepping and they have the off season where they're building. And so they competitors traditionally and, and, and should take time off in between shows in order to build more muscle so that the next time that they lean down, they actually look different. It's very hard to get away from just thinking that more fat loss is better and more fat loss is going to make you look better. And I see this a lot with people who maybe haven't even lifted a weight yet, a new client who is starting their journey for the first time. And maybe they have the question, should I bulk or cut first? Or, you know, I just really think I need to lose 10 pounds. And this is, this person's probably already at a healthy body fat percentage. They're already pretty lean or thin. Um, And I'm just wondering, sitting there, like, where is this 10 pounds going to be coming from? Like this, this girl is going to be skin and bones. If I let her lose 10 pounds or try to drive her to lose 10 pounds. And more often than not, this person is also under eating. This person is also not training in a progressive fashion. This person is probably overdoing cardio. So all of these things tend to go together. And the solution to that problem, and listen to the reverse dieting episode, is to bring your calories up and focus on muscle building and just focus on living the lifestyle and having a nice balance. So fat loss is not always the answer and it's not where the improvement happens. You build muscle when you are at maintenance or in a surplus. It is very, very hard. And there are only some circumstances when you can build muscle in a calorie deficit. And even so it's going to be slower and harder to do. So what I would say is if your goal is to get more toned and to have more muscle, fat loss probably isn't the first step. But if you have spent a good amount of time, this is kind of the foundation that you need, building up your calories, eating more, lifting heavy, and not abusing cardio, and then fat loss might be a good solution for you at the moment. Or if you just have a lot of body fat to lose. So that would be, I guess, a good way to frame your starting place. You know, where who is fat loss good for? Who should be starting a fat loss phase? Um, and what does that look like? Yeah. So, and again, we've referenced this in a lot of past episodes, but if we get a client that comes to us and they say that they've been in a deficit for three or four months, uh, at least three or four months, they're doing a lot of cardio. um, They don't have a good relationship with food. All of those are indicators to us that this person should not enter a fat loss phase, a true fat loss phase with us as coaches. So that would be when we would implement a reverse diet or something other than trying to quote unquote cut because there's only so much we can pull from or so much we could do. And it's just at that point, not beneficial. So like Marissa was saying, 
it just makes more sense to try to build more, try to put on some more muscle and spend some time. Maybe I don't want to use the word repairing your metabolism, um, but building it back up and getting you to a higher intake. And unfortunately, this is not what a lot of people want to hear. Um, because this is the unsexy part of dieting where you need to put on a little bit of extra body fat. And of course you try to mitigate that as best as possible, but you might have to put on a little bit of body fat while you are building muscle and why you are getting your food up to a good intake. Um, and if anyone is wondering, that is the period that I am in right now. I'm in the, the uncomfy period where I am seeing changes, but not the changes that I would like. And it is really, really difficult. And this is where a lot of people, they, you know, after they've dieted, they've gotten to a really, really good point. They feel really good. They start their reverse diet and they're like, okay, well, when can I diet again? <laughs> like when, when can I lose the fat that I just put on again? And, and you have to try to, to, stay away from that and continue building, continue being in that uncomfortable period. And it is really, really difficult. I completely understand. It's just, it's not fun all the time, but there are so many things to focus on. And I know this isn't the, the what we're supposed to be talking about in today's episode, but it is a really good um, thing to, to point out. So again, we would really encourage you to listen to the reverse dieting episode. Um, but, you know, we understand because we, we have been there. So like, just like catch up on all the podcasts because otherwise we're just going to reference every single one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you should probably listen through one through what, 14? At one through time. 14. Yep. Yeah. Um, so you got a lot of homework to do. So but, I mean, that is to say that the last or not the last one with Eric, but number 12, the macros one-on-one, that's going to be a 13. Yeah. What did I say? 12. 13. Yeah, Cause that would make sense. Cause 14 was Eric. Yeah. 13. <laughs> um, macros one one, which is episode 13, um, is a really good foundational episode that will give you a really good insight into this episode as well. Yes. And I was going to circle to that as well, but you made me think of one more thing and I have to say it. So I was having a conversation with a very close friend of mine who I also help out with her uh, macros and training and everything like that. And she sent me a photo of the first day of her cut last year versus the first day of her cut this year. And she bought in with me. It took her a while to actually spend a good like eight or so months in maintenance and it was hard. And she, like you said, put on a little bit more body fat than she really wanted to. Um, and like have had some days where she wasn't feeling good in her body image. Uh, but she put those two photos side by side, 2020, beginning of 2020 and beginning of 2021 fat loss phase. And the difference was insane because what she did was she bought in and she embraced maintenance. And this is not, again, what the, what the podcast is about, but this relates to fat loss. I'll get to it. Um, she embraced maintenance for those six to eight months or so. She ate at maintenance. She trusted the process. She built muscle. And what did that do? It moved her starting point to a leaner starting point. And so what I kind of got from that and told her is like, if you can get a really long-term mindset, like a decade of training and nutrition in your mind, of, okay, the first time I do this fat loss phase, I'm like pretty fat for my own standards, whatever that means to you. And then you lean down, you feel pretty good about it. And then the first time that you reverse diet, it usually doesn't go so well. So then you get like a little bit bigger, but maybe just try to 
employ moderation and use the principles that we teach to just not get quite as fat. And then next time you lean down, you lean down again, and then you keep bringing that range that you fluctuate between in. And that's what happens over the years of like, you just learn how to live the lifestyle with every cycle. Every single time that you cut and then you enter maintenance, you get better and better and better at just actually learning how to maintain and to live that lifestyle. So sometimes we really are thinking like really long-term and not a lot of people can wrap their head around that, but that's kind of how I like to look at it. Yeah, while you were saying that, it kind of made me think of, like investing. So maybe you have like $20,000 and you have that, you know, skeezy investor guy who comes up to you and he's like, I'll give you $20,000 now, or you give me $20,000 and I'll give you a million dollars 10 years down the road. And so then if you were thinking short-term, you'd be like, well, give me that, uh, you know, $20,000. But if you're thinking long-term, you'd be like, I, I want the million, but it's hard because you have to wait 10 years to see the return on your investment. Yes. And the effort for those 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. So like you said, the macros 101 episode is going to be the foundation. So we're not going to go through how to track your macros. We're not going to go through how to actually set up your ratios because there is so much in that episode that literally if you sat down with a pen and paper in that episode, you would have a game plan from start to finish on how to set your macros. The only thing that we'd be missing is just making sure that you're in a deficit. So I think that that would be a good place to start. So pick up on that episode number 13, make sure you know how to actually track a macro, how to set up your ratios, figure out what your calories have been for the past week or two. And then we have a starting place. So um, what I would say there is creating a deficit. My general rule of thumb. Well, before, before I even do that, maybe explain what a deficit is. That's a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, just keeping it super basic here. So a Mm -hmm. calorie deficit is just general principles of energy balance. So we talked about this last episode with Eric Helms and also number four, no seven (laughs) Neat. This is just the reference episode. (laughs) Um, but you guys get the point. So you're going to be expending. So moving more and exercising more and burning more calories than you consume. So that is a calorie deficit. And on a day-to-day basis, maybe you, so let me put some numbers on this to like help you visualize. Maybe you, if you were in a deficit, you would be say eating 1800 calories and you were burning 2200 calories. So every single day you would be in a 400 calorie deficit. Um, and that would add up over time and create the results that you would want to see. So that's what a deficit is. Um, we'll be using that term a lot. How many calories should that be? So I think it's important to acknowledge that you're going to create a deficit, not only through diet, but also through movement. Um, And so when you are establishing your deficit calories, you don't have to slash 500 calories out of your diet right away because you can also just move a little bit more, or you could also make sure that you're actually adherent to your exercise routine. So a lot of times, you know, if you're making these changes and fat loss is the first thing you're embarking on, you might not even be consistent with the gym yet. So just getting on a plan, like maybe going from one day or zero days per week to three days per week and being consistent with that is increasing your expenditure 
over the course of the week, and that's going to contribute to your deficit. So you might only need to take 200, 300 calories out of your day every single day to create a 500 calorie daily deficit. So all of these things add up. Um, so I think it's important to recognize that it is created not only through diet, but through exercise. Yes. And I think the really important thing too, is not to do too much all at once. And we've talked about this before, but let's say you're eating 2000 calories. So if you want to start a fat loss phase, you want to go into a deficit, you might cut your calories, but you don't want to jump automatically to 1500 and implement, you know, 30 minutes of cardio every single day. So you're, you're doing way too much at once and you might see a lot of progress, but you're going to plateau. And then in order to see results like that, again, you're going to need to do the same thing. And there's really only so much you can do. So we really want to be um, conservative. And I would say for the most part, um, because the other thing is, you know, we jump into the more weight that you lose per week. If you're losing over 1% of your body weight, you are more than likely going to be cutting into that hard earned muscle that you just spent however many months trying to build and you're ruining that right away. And so when you do cut down and you do lose weight, maybe you did it really fast, but now you have no muscle. And so you look the exact same that you did when you last cut or you're just not happy with your progress. So that is why Marissa and I are very strategic when we are cutting calories and we are implementing cardio with our own clients. Yes. And I actually had a conversation with someone today who messaged me asking some questions about her diet. And uh, she was like, Hey, I just feel like I'm kind of doing things wrong. And I, I just wanted to ask, you know, what you, what you think about this. And uh, she mentioned that last year she had lost 20 pounds in about six months. And she just felt like it took forever. And I was like, Hmm, that doesn't sound like a lot, but like, let me think about this. So I broke six months down into weeks. That was 24 weeks. So 20 pounds in 24 weeks for a pretty like petite sized female is a lot of weight. Um, so, you know, going from, you know, maybe 150 pounds to 130 pounds, I don't know exactly like what her weight was, but yeah, you know, that is a great rate of weight loss. So I told her, you know, that's a little bit less than one pound per week. I mean, that's pretty much right on par with what I would recommend and what I would ideally like to see so that you don't lose muscle. So yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, trying not to just dive into it too fast from a losing muscle standpoint, but also just a behavioral standpoint, because a lot of times what happens is, is when someone starts a program, starts a fat loss phase, and they make all of these changes at once. It's like, I love that enthusiasm, but they kind of view it as this whole, like all encompassing thing. So it's like, if I don't do one thing, then all the rest of it goes to shit. And I've, I've seen this in clients. I've seen this in friends and family as well. It's like, I've had someone tell me like, Marissa, something's wrong with me. And I was like, what's wrong? She goes, well, if I don't take my multivitamin in the morning, then I don't do anything else that I'm supposed to do. <laughs> like I don't work out. I don't drink water. I don't eat my macros. I, that is a very extreme uh, example, but it just demonstrates how people kind of view it as like, if I adopt all of these behaviors at once, then I must do all of these behaviors or, or else I am a failure. So it really perpetuates that all or nothing when you do jump into too much at once. I think another thing to point out when we talk about losing 20 pounds in six months and how to her, she may not seem like that's a lot where she may not have felt like that was the rate at which you would have wanted to lose weight. If you are dieting for an event, something very specific that has a time frame, 
always, always, always give yourself more time than you think. And so that might be why people are like, well, this is going to come out in March. Why are you talking about dieting for the summer or, you know, just dieting in general, but it, it takes a lot longer than you might think because you have to build in two weeks where you plateau and don't make any progress and you have to make some changes. So even though that's not quote unquote, like a loss of a week, uh, it's still something that you need to build into your time frame. And so there might be slip ups, there might be weeks where you actually gain weight. Um, there are a lot of things that could happen within your fat loss phase. So it's always a good idea to give yourself some time because the other thing that happens is if you are on this time crunch, you might stress at the fact that you are not losing weight, which can actually have negative or opposite reactions of what you would want to see happen. So if you are dieting, try to give yourself more time than you think you're going to need. Absolutely. Um, and I think that is a really good point. You made me think of, okay, well, how long does a fat loss phase actually need to be? How long do we recommend? What is ideal? So we already said, give yourself more time than you think you need, but what are we actually, what are we setting up? Right? Like what does this timeline look like? So, I mean, it can vary. It It's going to depend on, of course, I just say it's going to depend, but like, <laughs> it always depends. Right. But it's it going always to, does though. <laughs> it's going to depend on. So the useful answer here is it depends on how much weight you have to lose. Again, do you have some kind of a deadline and then what is realistic in your life and the constraints that you have? So when we are asking this question, typically people just tend to throw out like, oh, I just think I need to lose like five pounds, 10 pounds, 15 pounds. And I'm like, where are you getting this number from? And so really asking yourself the question, like, what am I, what am I referencing? Right? Like, are you referencing the weight that you were in college? Are you referencing what you were, you know, before you gained a certain amount of weight? Um, and oftentimes having a weight target is not necessarily the best thing to do because when you are training properly, eating properly and managing everything the right way, uh, you might not see as much weight loss as you might want, but that's because you're also building muscle. And so that'll offset some of the weight loss, make it seem like things are happening slower, but in reality, your body looks better than it ever has. So oftentimes, uh, and I get, I've gotten this more is I've had people come to me just saying, you know, I'm just chasing a look or a feel, or just want to fit into my, my clothes and feel good about it. But in general, I would say I don't like to drag out fat loss too long. Typically for the general person, I don't like to do more than six months of fat loss, but that's really on the long end when it comes to just anyone who's, who's trying to lose a little bit of weight, you know, tighten up for summer or something like that. I typically like to keep it between like eight and 16 weeks max. And then if I need to build in another four on top of that, if, if we need to add more time, but I've kind of. So my opinion on this has changed a little bit because I do that think that there's value of kind of just getting in and getting out. So not prolonging it too much because there is a downside to that as well. But um, yeah, so, so getting in, getting out, taking it seriously during the time that you are allotting for it so that you can you know, avoid prolonging it because you've gotten to your goal at the time that you need to. But typically, like I would say, general range for probably most people that are listening to this, like eight to 16 weeks and then like plus or minus four. Yeah. Because another good rule of thumb is 
However long you spend in a deficit is the time that you should spend out of a deficit as well. And you also need to give yourself a couple extra weeks or extra months because you're still spending your time reversing back and getting into your maintenance phase. So the longer you cut, the more time you need to spend out of a cut as well. So you also need to factor that into your timeline. Cause again, when Marissa and I, if we're doing this for ourselves or we're doing this for a client, we think big picture and we're not just thinking the next 16 weeks we're thinking, okay, what about the next year? What about the year after that? Um, so there are a lot of factors that we consider when we are, and I guess that's another thing to say, we don't take cuts lightly. Yeah, definitely. So actually that lends to a very personal example of mine. So like I said, I'm a week and two days into a cut right now. So just have my second check-in with my own coach. And my main goal right now is to compete in 2023. So with that timeline in mind, what is the goal for 2022, 2021? And what was the goal for 2020 was to spend as little time in a deficit as possible. So the function of my fat loss phases might be different than other people's, but it's really for me, it's not to get super lean or shredded. It's to keep me in a place where I can just kind of keep growing and, and keep me in a place from feeling too uncomfortable to where like I can't focus on growing. Cause there does come a point where if I have too much body fat and too uncomfortable in my clothes, I just have trouble focusing on training and, and building muscle. And it's difficult to, to stay adherent when you have lower self-esteem. So really just the fat loss is there to, to function as a way for me to continue that focus on growth. Cause the ultimate goal is have as much muscle as possible by 2023. And so this year we set a goal to spend, um, only, 25% of the year in a deficit. So that equates to 13 weeks, but we're doing a 12 week cut. And if we need to extend it one week, we will, but you know, I'm really going in hard at it because I only have 12 weeks for this entire year and I don't take that lightly. So, um, that for me is very motivating. Uh, it's not going to be the, the plan for everyone, of course, but I think the principle of having a bigger picture to your fat loss goal, as well as just taking it seriously while you're in it is so, so, so valuable because it is so temporary and we do want to keep it short. Yeah. So that's a really good segment on kind of that ideal time for fat loss phase and how much time you should spend in it. So the next thing to cover is how do we go about tracking and monitoring your progress? So there are a lot of different ways that you can do this. And I would say if anything, if, if you get anything from this episode, it would be that weight is not everything. It is not the only thing that matters. It is not the most important factor to consider that there are so many things. So again, Marissa and I are very similar in how we coach our clients and we ask for progress pictures every single check-in. We ask for a set of measurements and progress pictures, I think are the most telling. They show the most progress I think more so than weight, because you can have someone who's losing weight, but doesn't look any different. You can have someone who is gaining weight, who thinks that they're going in the wrong direction, but looks like crazy, crazy different. Um, so we recommend taking progress pictures, a front, back and side picture, something that you're keeping consistent week to week. I would recommend probably the same outfit, same clothing, or, or if you're wearing like a bikini or if you're a guy, maybe wearing boxers or swim trunks, but you're keeping that consistent week to week because that's going to be an easier way for you to be able to gauge your progress. Um, and then taking measurements. So Marissa and I might have different measurements, but 
I recommend around the smallest part of your waist and your hips or your, your glutes. Um, I also recommend taking uh, your thighs and your biceps as well. That's you too. <laughs> That's Marissa as well. Exact same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So again, we do a lot of things very, very similarly, but um, the other thing to, to think of that's maybe not you like actually tracking, but pay attention to what other people tell you, you know, you might have a coworker or a friend or a family member who says that you, you know, have you lost weight or you're looking really good. You're looking really healthy, pay attention to how your clothes are fitting, how they're feeling, things like that. Just generally how you feel overall. Um, so those are some really good ways to, to track and monitor progress. Yes, absolutely. Big fan of all those things. I pretty much require all of the same things. Um, And I think the biggest thing that I want to emphasize when it comes to tracking and monitoring your progress is how to actually look at that on a week to week basis. So what I recommend, and I know it's a lot of work to write everything down, but you're already investing in this. So like, don't tell me that it's too hard to plug some numbers into an Excel document because you're already doing this dieting thing. You're already probably tracking macros. You're already exercising more than you would have. So you have the time to invest in collecting some data and writing it out. So open an Excel document put a column in there for weight, carbs, fat, protein, Uh, write out what your goals are for your macro targets so that you can see if you're actually adhering to it. I'll tell you, you can think that you're adhering to your macros, but then when you go and plug it into the Excel document, you would actually be shocked at like how being quote unquote, a little bit off every other day really can impact things. So So I did that my very, very first prep where I thought I was tracking pretty closely and I was checking with my coach and he was like, well, let's try to get your fat within like one to three. And I was like, I thought I was, and I went back and looked and I was like, oh my gosh, like, no, I'm actually like five to 10 with fat. And like, so the more consistent I got with my numbers and I'm a very, very, very visual person. So I like to go back. I like to look at data. I like to see where I was like a month ago and where I am now. And so I like having that visual because again, this is going to be a plug for, um, our episode 13, but you can't track what you don't measure. So if you don't know how much how many calories you're eating. If you don't know your intake, if you don't know what your weight was a week ago, if you don't know your measurements, fat loss is, and actually any phase that you're in is going to be really tricky because it's very difficult to manipulate something that you don't really have a good grasp on. Yeah, absolutely. So what I would say is pause this, grab a pen and paper and write down these things. You're going to want to track your macro adherence. You're going to want to plot that out day by day. So what I recommend is having rows for the date and then columns for carbs, fat, protein, whatever you want to track, water intake, your steps, your weight. And then you're going to want to average all of those for the week. So in Excel, you can do equals average parentheses and then select all of you know, the past week's worth of data in that column. If you do that, you can see the average carbs you ate for the past seven days, average steps you took for the past seven days, average weight for the past seven days. That's super important. So you're going to want to do that and continue just dragging that down 
along the Excel sheet. And so if you track all of those things and you're able to look at that week to week to week to week and say, I am adhering to these macro targets that I set to myself to a T adherence really like to a set of numbers means you're probably within three to five grams on carbs and protein uh, above or below your target, if not on point and within like one to maybe three, but like ideally like one to two fat uh, above or below uh, your target. So for some of my clients, I'll give them a five, you know, gram range of fats, maybe like 60 to 65 grams of fat. So just be within that. But like, that's the general principle is like, you want to keep it pretty tight. Uh, Because if you're not, ultimately, and I think I've said this before, too. This is just a game of managing variables, trial and error. So if, if all of your macros are out of whack every single day, and they're inconsistent, you can't say that that variable is under control. The only way you can say that that variable is under control is if you're adhering every single day for seven to 14 days at a time. And if nothing's happening after that, then yes, you can make a change. But you know, most people struggle to just do that. And once you can master that consistency, typically the progress just comes. So I had two things that I thought of when you're talking about that. So the number one, or the first thing I thought of was while you are going ahead and you're, you're logging your macros, you're logging your weight. Um, the other thing that you should be paying attention to is your weekly average, because you can get really caught up in fluctuations and go, oh my gosh, I hit 135 this week. I haven't seen that number. Um, but overall you like, maybe that was an anomaly. Maybe you were severely dehydrated that day or so that's not necessarily your true weight. It might be a good indication that fat loss is coming. Um, but same thing goes on the opposite end of the spectrum. Maybe you saw, uh, maybe your, your weight jumped up to 140 and you're like, oh my gosh, like 140, like I, my fat loss plan isn't working. Um, go ahead and take a put peek at your average weight, because that's going to give you a much better indication of what your weight is actually doing. And that way you can start to see trends for your, if you have a coach, they might be able to make a prediction of what your weight is going to do. And then for me, one of the most eye-opening things from tracking my weight every single day was being able, like I said, to be able to predict things. So if, or kind of understand what is happening with your body. Like, so for me, Um, if I started to see my weight go up and I started to maybe feel a little soft in my belly, I'd normally be like, oh my gosh, like something's going wrong. Like I need to do more cardio. I need to, um, cut more food. But then I'd be like, well, wait, what time of the month it is, is it? (laughs) And then I'd be like, okay, this is probably what's going to happen. So I'm just going to keep everything as is run my course (laughs) for that week. And then everything kind of goes back to normal. And I might see like, an even bigger, an even bigger change in the scale the next week. So it's really cool to be able to see trends and to understand your weight. And I feel like that gives you a much better understanding and it doesn't put so much emphasis on the number that you see on the scale every single day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, talk about desensitizing to the scale, like when the average weight. So what I, what I would say with that is, Every seven days, take the average to average. So like I said, you're building this Excel sheet vertically down um, with with the dates on the left going down and then all of your variables that you're tracking. You're going to want to take your average weight every seven days or so and see how that trends time to time. Because if it's going down by 0.25 per week consistently, 
yes, things are happening. Things are happening really slow, but they're still happening. Um, and, and the average, like you said, really smooths out those crazy fluctuations from a night of no sleep, a really high sodium meal, being on your period. All of these things get smoothed out pretty well by that average to average. Every now and again, you're going to have a week that averages higher just because, you know, you're, it's that time of the month, but that's something as a female, you should probably expect every single month and then roll with it, see what happens the next week. So typically I think the next step here is when to make the change when things aren't happening. Typically we say, you know, you should be a hundred percent adherent for a week, two weeks, three weeks before making a change. I think a week is often too premature unless you're really dealing with like a human robot, which none of us really are. Um, or, or you are on some sort of a big time crunch, which again, we don't recommend, yes. but maybe that's you. And so you don't have the luxury of waiting things out and you do need to make a change. Yes. But most people listening to this probably don't have that time crunch. So don't just lump yourself in there because you're desperate. Um, <laughs> but in all reality, like two to three weeks of being truly consistent, if nothing happens, and that means nothing, not just on the scale, but in the photos and the measurements and the qualitatives, you know, the comments from other people, the way your clothes fit, your energy, your, uh, just the way you feel on your skin. If none of those things are changing, then okay, maybe you're just not in quite enough of a deficit. And so that's when we start to look at other variables like your day-to-day -day movement and cardio and just where your numbers are actually at with your diet. Yeah, so I think another thing too is when we talk about when to make a change. So again, so you're being adherent, you're doing everything that you should, you're getting all of your cardio in, but then you're maybe you are seeing a little bit of a change still in your weekly average. So then again, you might be able to squeeze out a little bit more fat loss on those numbers, or maybe you don't make a huge change with your nutrition, but maybe you add in maybe an extra five minutes of cardio or something um, per, per session that you're doing each week. Um, so you could do something like that, or let's say that the scale has completely stalled. You haven't seen any progress. It's been two or three weeks, so it's time to implement a change. So what you can do, like Marissa kind of said earlier, is you can make a change to your output, your input, or your intake, um, or you could do a combination of both. So it, I kind of... I say it depends and it's relative to where your numbers are now. So if you're doing an hour of cardio every day, which we wouldn't recommend for someone in a general fat loss phase, um, but let's say you're doing an hour of cardio every day, well, then you probably don't want to add in any additional cardio. If you're working out six, seven days a week, there's not really more that you can do output wise. If you're already getting 15,000 steps a day, you can't really, or you should I would say you shouldn't do anything more. So that might be a time to change something within your diet. Um, or, you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum, if you're already eating, you know, 1400, 1300 calories, well, then it might be a change that we make to your cardio, or maybe we add in additional weight loss, or I'm sorry, um, weight training session for a week, something like that. Yeah. And I will say the first thing that I look at when someone's hit a plateau is, Actually, neither of those things. Uh, lately, the question that I ask is, how much are you moving? Like, 
what are your steps at? Like, do you have a step counter? If so, tell me what the last seven days of your steps have been. Like, what are you doing outside of like your three 45 minute sessions at the gym? And more often than not, the answer is, well, I work from, you know, eight to five at home. And so I could just kind of sit there. Well, yeah, it's going to be really difficult to lose weight then because you're not moving and that can play such a big role. We have a whole episode on meat. You can go check that out, but movement outside of the gym and just keeping that constant and just bringing that up a little bit can make a really, really big difference. So a lot of times when things aren't moving for a couple of weeks at a time, uh, that's the first question I ask. I ask, okay, well, let's, let's manage this non-exercise activity because that's really easy to manipulate for your output. Again, that's a form of output, but uh, it's something that we don't have to like slap another requirement of like a workout or a cardio session that right. you're probably not going to look forward to all that much um, at this point. Right. So that's typically the first thing. And then I'll say, okay, well, what, what can we pull from here? Can we pull from diet? Can we pull, uh, can we add a, a cardio session or something like that? Yeah. So I actually, when I first get clients who start with me, I give them a relatively low step goal. So I give them normally around 5,000 steps. And so I just, as I ask for weight and, you know, what their calorie or I'm sorry, their, their diet adherence is, I do have a step column as well. So that's something that I, I see and I don't have to ask for, um, but it is good information to just kind of say, you know, what are you, how are you getting that neat? What does that neat look like? But the other thing, if you, I guess the, the easy thing to do is pull some of your food or add in some additional movement. But there are some other factors to consider as well. Like, what does your stress look like? You know, what are you just like, is your anxiety through the roof because you have a bad work situation or you're in a not so great relationship? So maybe you're only sleeping a couple hours of night because you are a student and you're a mom and you're also going to, you know, school and, or, and you have a job and you're trying to take care of five other kids, your, your stress is going to be, you know, pretty through the roof. And if you're not recovering properly, if you're not sleeping, if you're not taking vitamins and, and all of that, <clears throat> excuse me, that's another thing that we want to mitigate as well. So let's try to reduce that stress. We might see a little bit of reduced inflammation. Um, you know, we're seeing those stress responses in the body come back down. So that's another thing to consider as well. Yeah. When our bodies are on full alert mode and they're stressed, it's kind of like a recipe for disaster. Cause then when you add in fat loss, it's like another stressor on your body. And, and ultimately all stress is cumulative. So I had a post on this on Instagram actually the other day about how, uh, all stress is actually cumulative and how it all adds up regardless of if it's coming from your fitness or the rest of your life. So I kind of made the analogy to balancing out the scales of your life. So again, the input versus the output, the supply versus the demand. If you're not supplying enough, you know, food, uh, stress management, just general health and, and well-being, then the demand on your life, if it's too heavy, it's, it's going to weigh down that scale so, so much. 
so that you're not going to be able to recover and you might see maladaptation or, you know, negative progress or just a lack of progress. So uh, that's super important. When we talk about fat loss, we have to not only look at our calories and our training in a bubble, but also every other aspect of our lives, which is what makes this so complicated, but (laughs) that's uh, why we do what we do to help people get a better view, I guess, uh, bird's eye view on all of this. Um, one other thing that I thought of as we were talking about, okay, well, how do we, you know, pull from our food? Um, just quantitatively, how much should we be adding or changing? You know, typically I would say maybe I, I, I tend to go with smaller and more gradual changes. So I think we talked about this a little bit, but 150 to 200 calories per adjustment at at max. Typically it doesn't take all that much. You know, it could be 30, 40 carbs. It could be 15 fat. Um, It doesn't have to be anything super crazy. It could be a combination of both carbs and fat. You really don't want to mess with the protein, uh, but uh, really just taking out enough to make a change, you know, a couple hundred calories, you know, 100, 150, 200 but not so much that you're just, uh, you know, pulling everything out from under you. Because the other thing that I thought of is some, sometimes people fall into the mindset of like, oh, my macro targets are just a maximum. You know, I can come under them as much as I want because less is more, right? And, and that's not necessarily the case. Oftentimes when we view things that way, then we are digging ourselves into a hole that makes dieting harder. Because like we said, when you hit a plateau, we need to pull from something. So if you're viewing your macro targets as a maximum and you're coming under them all the time, we're not going to adjust your macro targets from what the targets are because you're not hitting them. So if you're adhering to something that's far lower than what your targets actually are, then what are we going to have to pull from? We're going to have to pull from what you're actually hitting. So it's very important to Again, think about adherence. Adherence is being tight to those numbers, uh, all three of them at all times. And that can be difficult because most people often find that as difficult to eat more food, but um, that is going to ultimately put you in the best spot to make adjustments moving forward. Yeah. And then the other thing, just real quickly to add to that is, again, if you are making a change yourself, you want to think about what is going to be the most easily adherable to you. So are you... A, again, like in the scenario before, if you are a working mom who's going to school, who's got five kids and a husband to take care of, is it realistic for you to add in additional cardio or add in additional workouts if you already feel like you don't have enough time? Diet is a little bit easier to manipulate. And it is, I would say, a lot more, um, uh, what's the word or what's the thing I'm looking for? It's more easily quantifiable. It's simpler on a day-to-day basis to just take the, and it's more mindless. Like you don't have to actively get yourself to the gym to do this thing. Right. It's just like, Oh, I just eat a little less of this. Like, right. So it's something that doesn't really take a whole lot of time. Um, so if that's something that's going to be easier for you to implement into your day-to-day, then maybe you pull from your food. Um, the opposite end of the spectrum, if you're someone who loves, loves, loves your food and you don't mind spending a little bit of extra time in the gym to kind of make up for that, then maybe that's what you do. Or again, if you are fine with both, maybe you do a little bit of both, but there is no 
kind of right or wrong answer. It's just going to be dependent on, on you. But at some point, depending on how, what the results you're looking for, you might need to do both. Yes. And I think that leads us perfectly into, and especially talking about that holistic perspective on fat loss of, okay, well, if this person is a mom of five kids and also a grad student and also has a full-time job on top of all of that, and they're trying to pursue fat loss and maybe they've just pulled out all the stops and, you know, they've, they've pulled from the diet, they've, they've added the cardio and they just feel like they, they can't go anymore. When to know either when you've reached your goal, which that should be pretty straightforward. If you've reached it, you should have, you know, some kind of a measure of like, Hey, I was trying to hit this target or this, this pair of pants or this weight target, or this, you know, this look or this feel I'm pretty much there. Um, and just, you know, when it's not worth it anymore to make more sacrifices and it's okay to make that call. If you really are giving it everything and, you are putting all of your effort in the right direction. Uh, there are going to be people and times in our lives and phases in our lives that it's just not going to be worth it, where the stress is just too much. Remember that dieting and fat loss is a stressor on the body. You're removing resources from your supply. You're removing the amount of input that you have to perform and to do everything that you need to do. That's why we're making a deficit, right? We're trying to put our bodies in a place where it has to lose tissue in order for us to reach our goal. So ultimately dieting and adding training and cardio, it's all stress on the body. It can make us healthier to an extent, but sometimes in some situations, it's just not worth it anymore. And it is okay to think critically about that and know when to make that call for yourself. Yeah, definitely super important to consider because it might be something along the lines of you have a family trip coming up and it's your annual family trip and you have the option of continuing to diet through that trip, maybe for a couple extra weeks. And the idea of meal prepping and staying on track that whole week and being around your family while you're dieting or not being able to enjoy all those family experiences, if that is just going to stress you out to the point where you don't enjoy being on that trip at all, then again, it's, it may just not be worth it. And that goes back to our episode, um, with your relationships and your fitness goals. And that's not to say that you can't stay on track and you, you can't do that. Um, but it's kind of those, sometimes it's memories over macros. And again, it's super, super cliche, but again, you just want to think about how much dieting is worth it to you in that moment or that, that time frame. Yeah. And, and like for what, right. For an extra two pounds, mm-hmm. like if you're really already in a healthy place, healthy body fat level, your blood markers are good. You're not at risk for any long-term disease and you're, you're overall a healthy fit individual. And you're like about to risk this vacation or risk this experience or something for two pounds, five pounds. Like, like we said, we're not expecting a ton of progress every single week. So what is, what is the downside? to, you know, calling it quits for that weekend. That doesn't mean just saying, you know, uh, F it, I'm just going to eat everything, but like just not putting that additional stress on yourself. Uh, a lot of times, like, I think when we, the people that we talk to specifically, I think have this in common is like, 
it's that last five pounds or, you know, that last two pounds or whatever they think they need to lose. If you're in a place where you, you think you have five pounds to lose, you're probably in a pretty good spot. Uh, because you're pretty much always going to have this thing in the back of your mind, thanks to diet culture and all that saying, Hey, you know, you need to be leaner because this is society standards and yada, yada, yada. But if, if that's the only thing that's ringing in your head is like, Oh, I could probably lose five pounds. or I want to tighten up a little bit. You're probably already in a pretty nice spot. And I think, I mean, not to get all philosophical on this, but uh, practicing self-acceptance and uh, self-confidence might be the better route there. Yeah. And then that actually kind of, we didn't have this on the outline for today, but if you are working with a coach or maybe it's something that you do yourself, if you've been dieting, let's say for 12 weeks, 16 weeks, and maybe it's a time to implement a diet break. And so let's take that family vacation as an example. So maybe that is a time for you to practice still being strict and still being adherent, but giving yourself a little bit of wiggle room. So maybe you don't hit your macros a hundred percent that day. Um, you know, maybe you go out and you go to your favorite creamery and you get your favorite ice cream. It doesn't fit your macros, but you're giving yourself just a little bit of wiggle room. You're trying to bring your cortisol, your, your stress back down a little bit. And then maybe after that week, you're feeling super refreshed and you're ready to tackle the next month of your cut. So that might be something to do as well. Yeah. And like, maybe you go to that custard place and instead of just getting an extra large because ah, I'm off my diet now, I might as well eat everything. Maybe you just get a small or kid size and you enjoy it because you know, you're not putting those limitations on yourself quite so much, but um, you know, you're still able to release the reins just a little bit. Right. Cause that's the other thing too, is once you, and this goes perfectly into our reverse diet episode, but once you end a diet, that is, doesn't mean that, okay, well now I get to do whatever I want again, cause I'm not dieting. You still need to be pretty adherent to your macros if you want to mitigate the fat loss that you will see. But you know, that week could be a time where you implement some refeeds, you implement a diet break and you give yourself a little bit of flexibility in order to kind of recharge and get back at it again. Yes. And really quickly, I want to just dis, uh, distinguish between diet breaks and refeeds and just regular fat loss. So fat loss, your macros are going to be, you know, whatever they are when they're low and you're, you're digging and you're grinding for that fat loss. A refeed is typically like one to maybe three days of higher calories. Uh, Theoretically your maintenance calories. So whatever you are creating a deficit with, with your, with your calories, you would add those back in typically in carbs and maybe some fats, and you would just have a higher calorie day or two days. You can have them back to back. You can have them staggered on like your heavy lower body days or something like that. But these function as a way to quote unquote, not actually, but like revamp your metabolism, but they're a great psychological tool. You could have them once a week just to give yourself something to look forward to throughout the week when your calories are lower, or you can implement them as needed. Maybe when you hit a stall, have a back-to-back refeed day. And, uh, you know, oftentimes that is, is the recipe to see the scale drop after that, instead of just trying to push and push through it. Um, so oftentimes putting your foot on the brake just a little bit 
with a refeed, a day at maintenance. Again, it's not just a fuck it day of like eat whatever you want and and go thousands over your calories. It's just a couple days at maintenance. And when you think about it, that's not really digging very far into your total deficit for the week because you're not entering a surplus at any point. So refeeds are maintenance calories. Diet breaks are typically about a week or two weeks of, again, the same thing, maintenance calories basically the same function, but just for an extended period of time. So these are typically more appropriate when the dieting phase is a lot longer. And so maybe you need a full week to like put the brakes on and refresh and get yourself, like Christina said, in a place where you're really ready to tackle the next, however long you have in fat loss. So this is super common in contest preps because typically those are a lot longer than your general day-to-day fat loss phase. And I also think that So sometimes, and I've had clients tell me this and and I have a hundred percent been there. So I understand where they're coming from. Sometimes a refeed and especially a prolonged diet break, like something that is a week long might feel like you are moving in the opposite direction that you want to go in. And you might see the scale go up one to two pounds and that's normal. It is normal. It's not something that you're doing wrong, but Again, the the point of a diet break is to come back stronger and to come back refreshed. So again, we we talk a lot about sustainability and being able to do something for a longer period of time and and do it at a in a healthier manner. And so diet breaks and refeeds are a way for kind of your diet not to suck. Um, so let's say, for example, um, something that I crave a whole lot when I'm dieting for some reason, I don't know why is like granola and cereal. (laughs) And for some reason, I I don't know what it is, but like yogurt bowls are really, really appealing to me. But if I'm dieting and I can't fit that into my day, then it might be something that I fixate on for, for whatever reason. And if you get something like a refeed, then that gives you the chance to kind of satisfy that craving and kind of, I don't know, recharge, refresh. And it just gives you like a little bit of extra momentum to go forward and keep dieting. Yeah. It's kind of like, um, a training deload. So when you do a deload, when you're training, you're dialing back really hard and you're, you're kind of not, you're still going through the motions. You're still going through your program, but you're reducing the intensity a lot. So by the end of the deload week, I always tell clients, you should be itching to train at full intensity again. So it's kind of that like teasing yourself with a little bit of, of refreshment so that you can really, really get after it. So it's, it's kind of synonymous to that. Um, one thing that you made me think of as well was just talking about, hey, when it's not worth it anymore and just kind of thinking about stress management and and all of the things that can go into fat loss that might make it unhealthy is fat loss is not the same thing as getting healthy. So we touched on this in the beginning about how fat loss is not the end all be all. It's not the epitome of health to do a fat loss phase. It's not the same thing. So you can be healthy without pursuing actively pursuing fat loss and you can actively pursue fat loss in a very unhealthy way. And so like you said, Christina, just now, we try to help you guys do this in as healthy of a way as possible but also recognizing that fat loss is unsustainable. So to an extent, the pursuit of fat loss at a point will be unhealthy, not because it's bad for you, but because it's it's a little bit unsustainable to, to push a calorie deficit, to do more and more and more 
in pursuit of a goal. Sometimes we have to do that within our framework that is sustainable. So that's why we have the reverse diet. That's why we have the diet breaks. That's why we have the refeeds. That's why we have the maintenance phase, the growing phase, and all these things that we're doing separate episodes about because they're equally, if not more important. So this is just one component. And I don't want you guys leaving here thinking if I just lose some body fat, then I'll be healthier because those two things could not be farther apart in terms of what they actually entail. Yeah, absolutely. So do you want to go into fat loss considerations for health? Because we, we talked about how losing weight doesn't always equate to being healthy. Yeah, absolutely. So some, some fat loss considerations for health, I think, uh, when we're, when we're looking at what could be a red flag in terms of, you know, you're pursuing fat loss too hard, or this could be detrimental to your health, I think is a good way to take this. So, uh, if you are really in a deficit for a while and you're a female, you could be risking amenorrhea. So that's the loss of your menstrual cycle. We don't really love that. Um, typically we find that if it goes away, it'll come back, but ultimately it's not, it's not something that we can control necessarily because some people will lose their period quicker than others, depending on how their bodies react to a fat loss phase. So it's not the end of the world, but at the same time, if you have lost your period, it is a good sign that your body is under stress and it's trying to conserve energy. So that is just something to be aware of. And if it is gone for a prolonged period of time, it is a good idea to spend a lot of time in maintenance until that does come back and become regular and definitely to see a professional about that. Um, also, you know, just overall, uh, if we look at the female athlete population or just the athlete population in general, if we look at REDS, so relative energy deficiency in sport, this is something that research has been uh, getting up to date on lately. This is just a fancy term for athletes don't eat enough and it's not good for their performance and it's not good for injuries and it's not good for uh, just long-term outcomes when it comes to performing in their sport, staying in their sport and not dropping out. Uh, and, and nutrition plays such a huge role and, and it's often understated in collegiate athletics, professional athletics, and people just don't eat enough. Uh, so, you know, really, if you're thinking about this in a fat loss context, if you're intentionally pursuing fat loss, uh, just making sure again, that it is temporary and that is not something that you're trying to do through important seasons of your life. So if you are a college athlete, if you are pursuing something that requires your performance, there are going to be times and phases where you need to put your goals of fat loss aside, focus on eating to play, eating to perform, eating to fuel. Um, so just kind of being aware of that and the health ramifications of chronic under eating over a period of time. So again, we're, we're making this a temporary window for a reason. Yeah, no, I think that you covered that really well. So the next segment would be how to know when to reverse diet. So again, we kind of touched on this earlier, but you've kind of either reached your goal or you've gotten to a point where continuing to diet just isn't worth it. Maybe you have been dieting for a really long time and you're just stalled and you haven't seen progress for a very long time. Um, or you've just been dieting for a really long time, well, then that's probably, those are some good indicators that it's time to reverse diet. Yeah. Or if you are coming to a coach for the first time and they tell you you're under eating, 
Maybe fat loss isn't the answer. Maybe it's a reverse diet. Oftentimes that is the first step for most of the people that walk in the door with Christina and I, not to put words in your mouth, but I know that we, we both encounter that a lot. <laughs> so this is the point in our episode where we recommend that you listen to another episode on reverse dieting. <laughs> not that we've already done that like 50 times. I know. <laughs> um, but I think that was a really good summary. I don't think that there's anything I have to add about fat loss. I think that we dove into it pretty, pretty deep. Yeah. I think the final thing that I want to say on knowing when to reverse diet is my experience from cutting last year. So I spent about 13 weeks, I believe cutting and, or in a fat loss phase, it was around the same time frame. But when I got to week 12 or 13, I messaged Brandon in my check-in and I said, I'm just feeling really run down and I'm starting to question if this is worth it because I feel pretty good. I just don't know if, and for me, the, the biggest threshold that's really hard to cross is going from the 140s to the 130s in weight. And I haven't really seen the 130s in a couple of years, but that was like in my head, the goal that I wanted to hit. And so I said, I just don't really know if it was worth it. Cause I, at this point I was sitting around 143, 142. Uh, and I just didn't know if, if pushing for another month was and through my birthday for, for that matter was worth it. So I was questioning. And when you start to question, typically that can be a sign that it is time. And he, fortunately, because I have, a, I have a coach for a reason to make these calls for me when I'm not in the right headspace too. He said, all right, it's time to reverse diet this week right now. Here's your new numbers. And it ended up working out really great. Yeah. And I had a similar kind of experience back in November where I had just finished a show. And again, when you're in that dieting mindset and mentality, and especially when it comes to competing, it is very easy to have this kind of tunnel vision and not be able to see things big picture because your focus is on that next upcoming show. So I had the option of continuing to diet. I think it was for like three or four weeks, like three. And it was, yeah, it was like three weeks, um, or start a reverse diet. And so I had the momentum I had the, you know, I'm already in that phase. So it would have been easy to keep going, but I had to talk with Marissa. I had to talk with my coach and really ask myself is dieting and pushing hard for the next three weeks going to be worth it? Do I think I'm going to place better at the show? Am I going to turn pro? And the answers, I mean, I might have done better, um, but would I have gone pro? Probably not. So even though it might seem like, well, it's only three weeks, you've been dieting for almost this entire year. So it doesn't really seem like that much, but those are three weeks that I could spend trying to reverse diet and take myself out of a severe deficit. So that's what I had to do. And that's, I'm really happy that I had made that decision because in the, in the moment, it's really hard to think big picture. So, um, that might be another good kind of suggestion is if you're going through a fat loss phase, it might be good to have a, a good support system and someone who can help you out and look at things a little bit subjectively and give you some advice and maybe what they would recommend. So that's why it is really important to have a coach because they can see things and help you maybe walk through a decision. Yes. Objectively. I think you accidentally said sub. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's what I meant. <laughs> it's getting late. It's getting late. It but <laughs> uh, same thing for me. Uh, 2018 prep 
the transition between Pittsburgh Nationals and Miami Nationals was 12 weeks time. And it would have been me fighting to break into the top 10 instead of being 14th. And that wasn't worth it to me because the goal is to go pro. And that's just going to take a bunch of years, which is why I'm taking like a five-year off season. So yeah, same, same sort of thing. Just wasn't worth it for, yeah. for, the, for the benefit, cost of benefit analysis. And the other thing that that just made me think of is if you died or you enter a fat loss phase, that does not mean that that is the only fat loss phase you will ever do your, you know, the rest of your life. That a lot of time progress happens when we go through different periods of fat loss, gaining, putting on weight, fat loss again. And so the example that Marissa gave earlier with her friend and her client is that's the goal is her starting picture for this cut was so much better than her original. And so it may not be when she, even though there was significant improvement at the end of her cut, it may not be exactly where she wants to be, but she's still in a much better position than she was before. So just because maybe you're, you are starting a cut and maybe you're ending a cut and you feel like you're, you don't have, you know, that, that dream body that you wanted or what you envisioned you would look like. It doesn't mean that you failed. And it doesn't mean that you can't go through another round of building and cutting again. So, um, you know, unfortunately with bodybuilding, that's what we do. It's, 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 we're in it for the long haul, the long game. So don't get discouraged if you're not where you want to be now, that doesn't mean that you never will. There's just a lot of time that you still need to put in. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about moving the needle just a little bit by little, even if that's, you know, one year of, of, of works worth at a time, you know, it, it really is a slow process. And so we're really just trying to bring that those extremes together. Yeah. So do you have anything else that you want to add? No, I loved this conversation. I think it's a really well-framed discussion on fat loss that isn't totally about fat loss. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, I think that we covered it really well and hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. And if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed to our podcast and you listen through all of the podcasts and all the previous episodes so you can get caught up and understand this one. But you can find both of us on Instagram. You can find me at Christy Lynn Fit and Marissa is at Marissa Roy Fitness. So thank you guys so much for listening and we hope to see you back next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Barbell Lifestyle Podcast, and we hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something from it. Please remember that Christina and I are not medical professionals, so if you're going to make any changes to your exercise or nutrition routines, please consult with your doctor or medical team first. Finally, we would love you even more than we already do if you took the time to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Ratings and reviews are how this podcast moves up the ranks and becomes accessible to even more people. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next Tuesday here at the Barbell Lifestyle Podcast.